Welcome to the very first episode of Off Leash Arts. I'm your host, Tanya Schaefer. In this podcast, I'll have conversations with artists and creators from a range of disciplines in which we talk about their creative process, what excites them, ignites them, and gets them to that feeling of freedom, that sense of being off leash. And what I mean by that is the incredible joy you witness when a dog breaks free of its leash and just runs, following its instincts in the purest way, going where its nose takes it. So I'd like to welcome my very first guest, visual artist Mia Risberg. Hi, Mia. Hi, Tanya. Thanks for having me on today. My pleasure. Mia was born in Sweden, and she lived in various parts of Europe before moving to New York as a young adult, where she studied fine arts at Hunter College, graduating magna cum laude, and worked as a graphic designer and book designer before moving to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I had the pleasure of meeting her. After working as a freelance designer here while raising her young children, she's been focusing full-time on her painting for the past five years, and her work has already been displayed in a wide range of exhibitions and galleries. You can see her work online at miarisberg.com, that's M-I-A-R-I-S-B-E-R-G.com, and also on Instagram at miarisbergart. A funny story before we dive into our interview. Mia was one of the first friends I made when I moved to Ann Arbor in 2017. We met through our kids' schools, and it wasn't until a few months later when we were in a book group together that we realized we had a prior connection. She had been working at Random House in the early 2000s, and she had actually designed my book, Somebody's Heart is Burning, which they had published in 2003. <laughs> yeah, and it was, a, it was a really funny coincidence. I mean, it's a small world moment there. It's, yeah, sort of, it's a kind of an amazing story, actually. I know. I mean, what are the chances? <laughs> and I thought, you know, I thought your name was a little bit familiar, but I worked on a lot of books, so I didn't make the connection right away. Only when I looked at your website and I saw the cover of the book and the title, I thought, that's the book I worked on years ago. It's really strange, but yeah, yeah. it was meant to be. <laughs> yes, obviously meant to be. So um, Mia, when I look at your work, I feel like a kind of lift in my chest. Like there's a joy in it and it captures moments that are lovely and poignant and also sometimes very ordinary and it elevates them somehow. So to my eye... Sure. Yeah. And to my eye, a lot of it sits kind of at a cusp between abstract and representational and includes elements of both. And it involves a lot of color, which I really love. Now, I'm, I'm speaking as a lay person, someone who really loves art, but is totally untrained as a visual artist. So if I get any of the terms wrong, feel free to correct me. Sure. No, it's great. It's great to hear from a lay person, too, because, you know, the audience is not only artists, it's everyone, right? Definitely. So what is your routine as an artist? Walk us through a typical workday, and maybe you can speak to both what it was like before the pandemic and how that may have changed, you know, with the kids home. And Sure. Um, so having a routine is something I still struggle with, and I think a lot of artist parents can relate to this, um, finding, you know, enough time in your day. Um, but usually my routine involves getting up in the morning, having my coffee, very important, mm -hmm. and then walking the dog. And that's sort of a um, meditative process for me, I think. I love nature. I love getting out in the woods or in the neighborhood, walking, observing. I take photos. That's a really kind of nice way to start the day. And mm -hmm. then I come back, 
I tend to do administrative on computer work. I would do that in the morning. And so I save my more creative work, the actual painting part for later, because I really love to work in the afternoon. I really like to paint in the afternoon, which is a bit of a struggle because being a parent, you know, you have limited times in the late afternoon when the kids come home from school. Mm -hmm. Um, If I had my way, I would probably, I would start painting after lunch and finish in the evening. And I'm not always able to do that, but I strive to start as early as possible, but I seem to have a hard time getting started painting until, you know, before noon, let's say it's hard for me. Uh-huh. And is that more or less the same with the kids home now? Um, you know, in terms of routine, it's been about the same. And it's a little more challenging in the sense that I have everyone around me. I have my husband home and I have my two kids home. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not, I'm not used to that. But it's also, I think that I, I've enjoyed, and I, I know, I, I don't want to sound insensitive, but I've enjoyed some of the effects of being home and not having to go out it's slowed time down a bit and there is a little bit of that feeling of more time which is a luxury you know Mm -hmm. that's interesting that you're an afternoon artist because I'm an afternoon writer too and I've I've heard that's rare (laughs) like other writers say oh most people are morning or evening but I'm I'm the same like my brain needs to kind of warm up with work that requires less of me until I feel fully awake. So exactly. That's, that's exactly Mm -hmm. how I feel. And I'm always a little envious of people who are morning people. I keep hearing, I get up at five, I get up at six, and then I do this and I don't feel that way. And, and so I kind of wish I was a morning person, but I'm not. And I, I think it's, I'm not sure I can fight it. I was recently on a residency in Virginia for two weeks. And that was a really interesting experiment for me to see what's going to happen now when I have the whole day. Mm-hmm. And I found that I pretty much had the same pattern. You mm-hmm. know, I got started in the studio earlier. So I was probably in the studio around 10 and mm-hmm. I started painting right away. But I really didn't hit my stride until the afternoon anyway. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of, I think we all have our rhythms, you know? Yeah. And wishing that we were others never does us any good. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, so when you do get in there, uh, do you, go in knowing what you're going to work on or do you kind of come as a blank canvas and sort of doodle around or both? That's a good question. So, you know, it depends a little bit. I think I used to work more, I used to work just abstractly and not have um, representational elements in my work. And then it was much freer and I could go in and not know what I was going to do. Mm. Now that I have, um, representational elements such as figures in my paintings and I've been working from photo references and thinking about um, what it means like exploring memories and Mm -hmm. childhood themes I've been going in with more of an idea of what I want to do I don't always I don't have a clear picture of what it's going to look like necessarily but I have an idea of what I would like for it to look like Mm-hmm. And then does that change while you're doing it? Like, do you find yourself surprised by what's happening in front of you? Definitely. I mean, <laughs> I will, yes. And it, that is a nice thing, right? When it mm-hmm. kind of evolves on its own. And I mm-hmm. think I mean, you can sometimes hear people talk about getting out of the, getting out of your own way mm-hmm. to let something emerge. Mm. And that happens when you're painting too, where you might start with an idea and then it kind of 
morphs into something else. Or maybe you have a painting and then you, you completely change it at a later date. Yeah. So yeah, it does change. Mm. I wanted to ask a little bit about the different mediums that you work with. You work with acrylics, oils, and cold wax. So first of all, what is cold wax? So cold wax is a paste that comes in a jar and it's beeswax with um, uh, mineral spirits and some resin. So it's, and it, it kind of, people compare it to Crisco. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of white and it's buttery in consistency and you can mm -hmm. mix it in with your oil paints. It makes them a little matter and it makes them dry faster. And it also kind of thickens everything up so you can, you can layer mm -hmm. it dries and then you can scrape back into it. If it's just tacky, um, once it's completely dry, you can also buff it and get a sheen. So people have used it in the past as a finish to kind of get this kind of waxy, waxy sheen over the entire piece so when i when i work with the cold wax it's usually abstractly i mix the cold wax with the oil and i use um silicone tools like almost like spatulas or cooking tools you know uh -huh. those bowl scrapers to to apply the the um the oil and cold wax onto panels and there's much less control because i don't apply it with the brushes i'm mm -hmm. applying it with these tools and it's more of a a scraping and um, layering process, mm -hmm. which I like, and I like the, I like the fact that there's not too much control that you can have, and you can have a lot of accidents, and it's a little more mysterious. Where is it gonna, you know, where is it gonna take me? And then I'm usually pretty free, mm. while well, when painting with acrylics, then I'm using you know brushes, and it's a little more controlled, and so they have different. Uh, nature, but I like I like both. It's always like a, a toggle, you know, between um, being more contained or having more control, and then having less control. That's interesting. But I, I mean, I try to I try to keep some parts of the painting loose, even when I'm painting with acrylic. Interesting. So I want to ask you about a series of paintings you call Lost Child, and you can see this series on your website. This entire series is centered around a figure of a child wrapped in a towel or a blanket seen from behind. And I believe you said it was inspired by a photo of your daughter. I love this series. There's something so arresting about this figure. And it was really fascinating for me when you were creating this series in 2018 to see on your Instagram feed the same figure cropping up in such a variety of settings and moods and colors as you were doing these explorations. So I'd love to hear you talk a bit about that process and what it was like for you. Yeah, sure. So when I started working on The Lost Child, um, I had originally painted that painting a long time ago, and then I revisited it in the last couple of years. So it originated, as you said, with a picture of my daughter. And I took this picture, I took a photograph. I like taking photographs, although it's not my, I'm no um, expert in it, but I do enjoy taking photographs. And mm -hmm. I took a photo of my daughter when she, we were at the pool, and she covered herself with a towel but she put it over her head and she was standing uh in front of me so I could see her back and she had this towel on and it was it, there was very beautiful light you know when the rays are shining down 
Mm. And it was in the early evening in that kind of golden hour. And so I, and I think there may even been like a little bits of like petals or something in the air, or like some pollen or something. So mm. it was really, it just felt really magical. You know, when you have one of those moments that kind of things kind of glow. Yeah. And so I quickly, quickly was taking some photos. She was little at the time. I mean, she must have been a toddler maybe. Mm. And, um, or maybe maybe a young child. But so mm-hmm. I quickly took photos and, you know, I may at some point have said to her, you know, sit, stay, wait one second <laughs> while I finish <laughs> taking her photos. And, um, and I kept that photo for a long time and I always liked it. And then when I moved away from painting just abstractly, I decided to re explore that figure and I started integrating it into some more abstracted environments. And then when you're talking about the series, like various, how it has, um, that figure has various setting. I think it morphed mm-hmm. from being just, you know, a painting of her to being more about like the vulnerabilities of childhood. Mm, I think yeah. there was a time too, when there were a lot of, um, when I was working on it, it was around the time that there was a shooting and might've been um, at mm. the school in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I, it just made me think you know, about how vulnerable kids are. And that figure, depending on where I placed her, could mean different things. Of course, when you don't see a full figure or, you know, when it's from the back or it's a little ambiguous, the Mm -hmm. viewer can interpret things. It becomes a little more about the viewer too, about Mm -hmm. what you see. And so it just became different based on where she was standing. So standing alone, I felt was a little bit more mysterious mm-hmm. while in, in a setting, then it became a little bit more about her interactions in the setting and maybe interactions with nature. That's where those explorations came from. Yeah. Does that, does that answer? Yeah. I mean, it's a very poignant image. There is something about it that's very forlorn and it, it's really interesting to see how, Certain colors soften it, but then you also have that black and white where the background becomes very angular, where it becomes very stark and I'd say almost scary. The one that you're, I think you're speaking about is the, the one that is just is completely black and white. Mm-hmm. And that one was based, I did a lot of explorations on that theme of the lost child. And I started working with, um, I would, I would do one and then I would work off that one and make another one. and that black and white one was um, retracing some of the lines from a color one sort Mm -hmm. of kind of working like in negative, like in reverse. Mm -hmm. And it became almost, you know, like um, more of a tech. It it has kind of like you were saying the hard edge, like a tech environment. Uh And then I like the contrast between the figure and then this kind of almost edgy, like I want to say sci-fi, but kind of yeah, a, like a dystopian a cyber, future, yeah, like a, <laughs> a cyber environment or something, which also relates to kids, right? Because they're always navigating that line between like being children and then using electronics, and you as a parent thinking about how they're using it and worrying about that. Yeah, so, very much. These were so. all things that came to mind when I was working on it. It's interesting how things like the the school shooting, things that are in the news are kind of infiltrating maybe a plan you already had and changing it or. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I noted sort of doing a deep dive on your website, the abstract work you'd done around 9-11, a bunch of sort of dark seascapes. I'm just curious about how you feel like the current events make their way into your work and how that maybe that relates to this moment. Like, do you feel the pandemic is working its way in? Uh, yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. So in terms of how it affects you, I think it's not always clear, at least for me when I'm painting, you know, I don't think of myself as a conceptual painter where mm -hmm. I'm trying to depict, you know, political or social events. But mm -hmm. for example, with a 9-11 series, I think it was more um, maybe a therapeutic, but kind of, I mean, New York was so chaotic at the time, mm -hmm. but it was also kind of quiet chaos after 9-11. And I found this refuge in the printmaking studio. And I was just making these like almost manically creating like these seascapes, <laughs> which started out as something else, you know, they were just abstract. And then they became these seascapes. And I was just, I mean, I was cranking out a lot of them. I would spend hours in the studio there and they just were, there was a serenity about them for me, which mm -hmm. I think was comforting mm. after 9-11 and I think I I like water a lot and I'm interested in water and it does have a kind of that um duality to it where it's it can be very serene but also kind of scary right like the ocean's very mm. powerful and so it, it made me think about these two things juggling these two um attributes yeah and in terms of now I don't think in terms of um the work I'm making now and and the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen, I'm seeing a pattern yet. I'm working a lot on um, continuing things that I started during my residency, which are based on um, childhood photos and um, moments in time. It's possible that the pandemic will affect the style or the nature, but I haven't seen a a thread or a pattern yet. Yeah, sometimes I feel like, well, in my writing, I feel like events in my life take about nine years to show up in my writing. So oh, I don't know if you have a similar thing, but sometimes the larger things can take a while to process. So it might show up down the road, you know, as opposed to now. Oh, interesting. Your most recent work is a series of very small paintings that seem to portray fragments of moments or partial images, like half a person with their shadow. And some of these have very vivid, non-naturalistic colors. On your website, you can see a whole bunch of these side by side on a gallery wall. Tell me what this project is about. So I started a series in November when my old dog was sick and dying, and I didn't have a lot of time to get into the studio because it was very time consuming to um, take care of him. And so I wanted to give myself a little um, a little challenge where I could do something manageable each day. And so I started doing these on a daily basis. And I thought, since I'm interested in figures, let me try to get a detail of a figure or a moment and and do one a day. And so I, I've been working from, and this is an ongoing series. Mm. I have, I think I have six, I have 55 so far. and. I'd like mm -hmm. to do like a hundred of them, but um, I I work from photographs and magazine clippings, and sometimes even I'll take pictures of a movie still or a series or something that catches my eye. 
Mm-hmm. And I wanted to um, explore what would happen if I translated something black and white to color, or what would happen if I cropped an image that I found interesting and think about composition, color, and also what happens when you look at a picture that's cropped, you know, mm-hmm. because you're creating um, like a different narrative. And the viewer makes his or her own narrative. As the series progressed, it, it and, and when I put them up on the wall like that, um, it's also a little bit about how they interact with each other. And there is that element of narrative when you're looking at a, a whole grouping of people, mm-hmm. you know, what is going on in each individual um, piece and, and between the pieces too, depending on how you put them up. And when, when you okay. found something interesting, is it, is it like, oh, the lines, the colors, or is it more like, oh, there's something emotional or engaging about that, that person's, like, I'm thinking now of one where there's a kind of a, it's sort of a broadly drawn one where there's a man with his hand kind of flung over his head and a shadow, which is kind of emotionally arresting, although I'm not totally sure why. I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, that it, I did. I did find some of those more dramatic or pensive gestures interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think also because when you crop something like that, then a lot of it is what the viewer imagines happening outside of the frame. For example, there's one with a man and he's sitting and he's kind of looking up and he has his, his um, I think his face is being cupped by a hand and so and he's looking up and he's looking a little bit anguished and so then it becomes about what's happening outside of the picture mm-hmm. and I and I like that ambiguity because mm. then it's a little bit it's a little bit about using your imagination when you're looking at it mm, which I cool. think is interesting before we go the one other thing I was thinking of asking was um I know that I can't look back at something I've written without tweaking it. So I'm curious if you have that experience. Like, do you come to a place where you're like, oh, this is done, you know, and it's done? Or do you keep coming back and like changing little things? Well, that's a, that's really interesting. And I, it's mm-hmm. interesting to hear that as a writer, you go through that, you have that moment where you've, I mean, mm-hmm. you constantly feel like you might be able to improve on something. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think it's the same for me. And I've heard, I I think it varies among artists, among visual artists. I've heard people who say, you know, I can't have a painting in my house because I will, I will literally change it all the time. I don't think it's, everyone is the same, but for me, I definitely, um, I definitely, it's hard to know when it's finished. And I, I have things where I look at them. I have even paintings I've, I've cold finished that are a few years old that I feel like changing now. Others I'm very happy with, and I know I won't touch them, but there is always that risk for most of them that I might want to change something. Mm. And it's, it's hard. And actually, one of the paintings I recently completed was completely different, you know, a month and a half ago, and I completely went over it and changed it. Mm. So you would not even be able to recognize it. So there's always that risk. I mean, you always feel like you can improve on something. Right. <laughs> and it's hard to leave it alone. But you can also ruin things. You know, I've gone back, I take photos of my paintings at different stages. And sometimes I look back and I think, oh, shoot, why did I go over that? It was much better then than it is now. 
Yeah, I can relate to that. I was wondering about that because I always save the past drafts just in case. Right. You can't quite do that as an artist. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it is interesting that you said that because I thought about writers um, when I was on my residency in Virginia. There were a lot of writers at the residency there. And we, at one point, I remember talking to one of the writers and I was saying, you know, I, I, I still have some studio time tonight, but I don't think I want to go in. I'm not feeling quite like I think I might ruin the painting. And he's like, well, you can go in and work on it anyway. And I thought, but if you're a writer, you can save your draft. Mm. It's a little, um, you can always go back to that and then, you know, save another draft and rework it. You don't lose everything. When you're a painter, you could literally end up with something that you have to put in the trash, right? Yeah, you you are on more of a high wire. <laughs> Well, this has been lovely. Thank you so oh, much for fun. being my first guest. Thank you, Tanya. It was really fun. Thank you. It's Thanks been for super having me. Fun. And thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Off Leash Arts. This has been your host, Tanya Schaefer. Please tune in again next week when I'll be talking with the brilliant San Francisco-based writer, actor, director, activist, Michael Gene Sullivan. Meanwhile, take good care and stay off leash.